What's up, guys? It's Jim. Welcome to another edition of the Homes Politicast. We have another number of stories to talk about today. Lots going on, as always. And it just it's going to be even more as it gets closer and closer to the election. There's going to be tons of things to talk about, and it's really hard to pack them all in. But we'll start right away here. Uh, the first one is uh, from the Detroit Free Press. It just came out on the 14th of this month. And it says, Michigan lawmakers approve extension of unemployment benefits and new nursing home rules. Here's what it says. Michigan lawmakers worked until the wee hours Wednesday morning, waiting as legislative leaders and the administration of Governor Whitmer debated behind closed doors on how best to help millions of workers and small businesses struggling because of the financial strain brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. Leaders from the House and Senate met off and on for more than 16 hours on Tuesday and Wednesday with representatives from Whitmer's administration to discuss the measures. After midnight, early on Wednesday, lawmakers formalized agreements to extend unemployment benefits, outline new safety measures for nursing homes, and create new legal protections for health care providers and other businesses. One measure... SB 886 extends to 26 weeks the amount of unemployment insurance available this year due to a job loss related to COVID-19. That was the same amount of time available under the governor's executive order. This bill also clarifies that the state can't re-examine any unemployment claim based on it being filed under an executive order now deemed invalid. The bill also loosens the requirements a business would need to meet in order to institute a work share program, an initiative that reduces employee hours but avoids mass layoffs. The updated measure passed unanimously in both chambers. Another bill, SB 1094, would require state health officials to examine COVID-19 policies at nursing homes and how they have been implemented. Although a portion of the bill states no patient who tests positive for COVID-19 may be sent to a nursing home, a different portion of the legislation states a nursing home may take a patient with the virus if the home has a state-approved area within the facility for people with the disease caused by the coronavirus. The process, especially finding common ground on bills that protect employers against lawsuits, was a struggle. The measures come as Republicans fight Whitmer and her fellow Democrats on a number of fronts, from calls to mandate masks and ban guns at the State House, to House Speaker Lee Chatfield questioning why the governor did not tell him or others about the specifics of a thwarted kidnapping plot, the possibility of collaboration appeared fraught heading into Tuesday's session. Representative Bo Lefebvre an Upper Peninsula Republican who announced in late September he had tested positive for COVID, joined several of his colleagues in not wearing a mask on the House floor. West Michigan Democrat Representative David Legrand wore a mask and a bulletproof vest, the bulk clearly visible through his dress shirt. Yet the need for any legislation is significant, underscored by recent Michigan Supreme Court rulings 
that effectively ended Whitmer's executive orders aimed at curtailing the pandemic and its impact. As of this week, more than 130,000 residents have tested positive for the disease caused by the coronavirus. Hundreds of thousands of residents have applied for unemployment assistance with thousands of businesses also seeking financial aid. At the end of the long day, the House and the Senate passed a series of bills with three issues taking center stage, unemployment benefits, nursing homes, and legal protections from pandemic-related lawsuits for businesses. But the real fight hinged on measures that would provide a liability shield for businesses and a quirky Senate procedural move. A series of House-led legislation provides legal protections for businesses against lawsuit filed related to the pandemic. Republican supporters say they wanted to provide peace of mind and assistance for businesses that do the right thing and are still sued. Opponents, including Whitmer, say the legislation goes too far in protections offered. Republicans looked to strengthen the negotiation position with the legislative maneuver taken in the, in the Senate. The upper chamber took action last week that essentially connected the fates of the unemployment and liability bills. While the move was not unprecedented, it was a, a sign that legislative leaders knew the governor wanted to support the unemployment bill and opposed the liability measure. On Monday, Whitmer told reporters she hoped House lawmakers would undo the maneuver, known as a tie bar. I think it's really important that we've got unemployment protections for the hundreds of thousands of Michiganders whose benefits are in the balance as a result of the Supreme Court decision, Whitmer said. These were benefits that I was able to extend, but with the court's decision, they now hang in the balance. And while the legislature has to play an important role, I'm hopeful they'll break that tie bar so I can sign it into law and we can fix this post haste. The liability measure passed on largely partisan lines, but Chatfield noted in a late night tweet, lawmakers removed the procedural maneuver thanks to, to finding consensus. We have a deal on unemployment benefits and liability reform. The tie bar is no longer necessary because we found common ground. Thank you, Governor Whitmer and Senator Mike Shirky for your work and bipartisan cooperation. Great news for working families and small businesses, Chatfield tweeted shortly after midnight Wednesday morning. So this is uh, good news. Um, they found consensus. Uh, this is just... There are, okay, there, there's just so many issues here that um, really the governor created when, when she declared the emergency and then prolonged it. Um, so, I mean, this really is her fault because the Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. Now everything hangs in the balance because it was all predicated on her executive order. So now there's all this confusion that, you know, in all honesty, she brought about. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh. Um, you know, I don't want to kick a woman when she's down. I mean, you know, she had this, this uh, plot to kidnap her and and I, I guess execute her at some point. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't mean to just, you know, keep attacking her, but, but it has to be said. I mean, this was a problem that was because of the executive order 
And then when it got struck down, and it got struck down so uh, so harshly, I mean, like right now, it has to be, you know, it's not like there was a grace period where the, ex- the executive order will extend for another month or something, and then it's got to be, then it's then it's null and void. I mean, it became immediate. So now there's a number of questions that businesses have as to are they following the health requirement or the health department or are they following Governor Whitmer's executive order? You know, there's a lot of questions as to whether or not, you know, they have certain mandates and have to remain shut down or social distancing. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of questions that now immediately have to be decided. So I'm glad that they were able to work together. And so, I mean, just as uh, um, uh, Mr. Chatfield, I can't remember what his first name is, the Speaker of the House, um, you know, he said thank you to uh, Governor Whitmer and Mike Shirky, the Senate Majority Leader. Lee Chatfield is his name, the House Speaker. Lee Chatfield, he said, thanks to Mike Shirky and uh, Governor Whitmer. Well, yeah, I, you know, even though she was part of the problem, you know, you have to give thanks to Governor Whitmer and Mike Shirky and all of them for working together for the benefit of Michiganders. And let's get, you know, let's get more of this done, you know, um, and, you know, let's work out something as far as uh, the emergency. I mean, if if the legislature believes that the emergency should continue, then they then then yes, uh, work together with the governor and figure out a way to keep us safe, but also not to um, put us all in lockdown and, and, and get all these and, and, and risk our economy collapsing and get people back to work. I mean, just do work together on this though. I, I really was discouraged when the governor didn't feel that she needed to work with the people's representatives in the legislature and thought she could handle it all herself. I mean, that's not, that's not how we work in this country. That's how you work things in a third world country. It's how you work things. And even uh, maybe not as much today, but still in places like, England, where they have a monarch. I know that the monarch's power is a lot less today than it than it was a hundred or two hundred years ago. But still, that is the idea is always that one person can handle all problems. In our country, we all work together. You know, the governor works with the legislature. The president works with the Congress. The you know we all work together. And in a crisis, the governor should be working with the president and vice versa. And it's something that we haven't really been seeing a whole lot of on any level. Everybody seems like they want to do things their own way without any any help from anybody else. And that's just not how it's set up, you know. There's an old song, Lean On Me. Um, it was real popular in the 60s and 70s, and it's a song I actually kind of like. But, you know, that's that's the idea is that none of us can do anything by ourselves. Uh, Hillary Clinton took that African proverb and perverted a little bit into it takes a village to raise a child. But, you know, the idea, the sentiment was good, but she made it more like the state needs to raise your child for you. But, but the idea that even when you raise a child, you have, uh, you have other people uh, that help you, you know, schools, teachers, counselors, uh, youth leaders, pastors, uh, you know, if you're in a church, 
you have all these people who help you raise your child. It's not the burden shouldn't have to be on just you and you alone. You know, so. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to see they're working together. Finally, it's been a long time. I don't know if any time during Whitmer's administration, I've seen them actually working together on anything from the roads to. Well, I started to say Flint, but she hasn't done anything about Flint. She hasn't even attempted. Um, she did attempt to do some things on the roads, but again, it was all her. Um, and she still is. If you listened to the show last week, you'll know that um, she wants to do the bonds, um, state bonds to help repair the roads. And that was something the legislature did not want, but she decided she's going to do it anyway. So um, anyway, uh, the the other stories are a little more national. Although this one's a little closer to home, um, on October, when is it, 17th, a Saturday at 5 o'clock, um, or, right, yeah, at 5 o'clock, um, President Trump will be in Muskegon uh, at a Make America Great Again rally. Um, it's going to be at the Flyby Air. I, I don't know where that's at. But um, you can look it up. It's on. It's 103 Sinclair Drive in Muskegon. Um, this is just real breaking news at this point. So I don't know any other details. If you're interested in going, um, you can look it up there. Uh, find out the details. Uh, I don't know if it's a limited amount or or what. I don't know. But anyway, it's uh, that's just new, just breaking in the last few minutes. So. Um, I don't have any other news for you, but yes, President Trump will be in Muskegon on the 17th of October at 5 o'clock, I believe is the time. All right. Politico has a story here uh, about the Michigan Senate race. So this is interesting. The headline reads, a tightening Michigan race gives GOP hope of hanging on to the Senate. This is a really interesting story that um, hasn't been getting a lot of attention. The Senate race in Michigan has really been overshadowed by everything going on with the governor and with the presidential race. I've heard very little talk about the Senate race. And it says this, amid the well-justified doom and gloom for Republicans, okay, that one is I don't know about. Um, I don't know about that. Doom and gloom for Republicans, they're already assuming that Trump's going to lose. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, uh, um, but they say uh, uh, amid the well-justified doom and gloom for Republicans, the Senate race in Michigan is giving the party a glimmer of hope in their bid to hang on to the chamber in November. First-term Senator Gary Peters is one of just two Democrats up for re-election in the states President Donald Trump carried in 2016. For the better part of the election cycle, he's been seen as a sizable favorite over Republican John James. Um, but two polls released in the past two days have shown Peters underperforming compared to his party's presidential nominee, Joe Biden. And while Peters is still leading in all the polls, including very small advantages in James, James's publicly released internal surveys, the race is too close for comfort for Democrats, especially with Biden well ahead of Trump and the party pushing into more Republican states to broaden the Senate map. All right, this one just... I'm interested in the tightening Michigan Senate race. I really could go without 
the opinion here about how badly Trump is going to do in Michigan because there is no evidence that he's going to lose Michigan. He may, but there's no evidence of it at this point except for a few ridiculous polls that uh, conflict with other polls. And so it, it's it's at this point, I don't believe anything. I think I've said before, I, I trust a carnival gypsy more than I trust these polls. Um, you know, uh, so for Republicans, this is the case for James. This part might be pretty good. For Republicans, Michigan represents what South Carolina, Montana, or several other red states represent for Democrats. A difficult state where the party's challenger has to outrun the top of the ticket by a healthy margin to win, but where the Senate contest is more competitive than the presidential race. Outrunning the top of the ticket is not uncommon. Several Republican senators who won re-election in 2016 outpaced Trump in their states. Democratic senators in 2018 significantly outrun, outran Hillary Clinton's past performance, whether they won or lost. But a challenger defeating an incumbent while the president loses their state is exceedingly rare. I've talked about this before, how, how rare that is, that more than likely whoever wins, whether it's Biden or Trump, whoever wins Michigan, that's the party that's going to win the Senate race. That's traditionally how it is. There are exceptions to every rule, and that could happen here. But that's what they're saying. That's what I'm basing it on. Is it's, it's exceedingly rare um, for the Senate to go one one way and the, and the presidential election to go the other. It's Usually they're tied together um, based on the turnout. A veteran and businessman, James has never held public office. But Republicans have long seen him as a candidate who could overperform. They recruited him for the race despite some pushback from Trump's advisors last year. His seven-point loss in 2018 to the state's other Democratic senator, Debbie Stabenow, was seen as a better-than-expected performance, though both national parties abandoned the race before he won the primary, and he faced much less scrutiny than he has this cycle. James outraised Peters for most of the campaign, and has not faced the massive cash disadvantage that has hampered most Republican incumbents. Both candidates announced raising $14 million in the qu third quarter of this year, though Peters has seen bursts of online fundraising in October, including more than $300,000 Sunday, after a push organized by Senators Brian Schatz, a Democrat from Hawaii, and Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut. Um... The one area of defense the Democrats are now playing with evident panic is in Michigan, where I do think Republicans have fielded a rock star candidate with John James. And Democrats really oh, realize people don't love Gary Peters. Stephen Law, the president of Senate Leadership Fund, said in a recent interview. Um, Peters' campaign has also outspent James in a slightly more booked on TV for the remainder of the campaign. The map is so bleak for Republicans that they're hyping a failed politician who's never led in the polls, said Helen Kala, uh, a spokesman for the DSCC, uh, expressing confidence in Peters and accusing James of hiding from questions because of his positions on health care. Okay, I'm done with this. If you want to read it for yourself, it's in Politico. Um, but anyway, it's interesting that the polls are tightening because I've been hearing from the very start that this was a done race. Peters was going to win. There's really no reason um, to uh, cover it. Um, 
you know, they've already said it's a likely R um, race. I mean, a likely D race. Uh, so this is really interesting. We're going to have a real race on our hands there. Um, let's see here. Uh, another article. This one, I guess I'll probably talk about for a while. This is the last article I have here. But uh, and we're only halfway done, so I'll just talk about this one for a few minutes. This is from Axios. Uh, I like them. They're, you know, like any news site you're going to find these days. It's a little biased against conservatives. Oh, yeah, there actually was something else I was going to talk about, and it goes along with this. So I'm glad I remember. I'm glad I said that. Um, it's a little biased, but um, but this one actually, this article is by Mike Allen and Hans Nichols, and this one actually is uh, really on the mark. The headline reads, Joe Biden is the luckiest, least scrutinized frontrunner. Uh, it says, eight months ago, Joe Biden was in danger of losing the Democratic nomination. Now he's a prohibitive favorite for president, who got there with lots of luck and shockingly little scrutiny. The media's obsession with Trump and Trump's compulsion to dominate the news allowed Biden to purposely and persistently minimize public appearances and tough questions. Since August 31st, Biden has answered less than half as many questions from the press as Trump, 365 compared with 753, according to a tally by the Trump campaign, which the Biden campaign didn't dispute. In that time, Biden has done approximately 35 local TV interviews, three national interviews, and two town halls. Biden went almost three months without taking questions from reporters. Biden aides say one reason there's less scrutiny of Biden in the general election is that he was already examined thoroughly in the primary election and over decades in public life. Andrew Bates, a Biden spokesman, said, who's scrutinizing Trump more, Maria Bartiromo or Sean Hannity? Biden has yet to be penned down on an array of legitimate questions, including his blunt view of adding new justices to the Supreme Court, which will be a priority for progressives if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed. Biden, who had criticized the idea in the past, finally said he's not a fan of court packing. Biden has also gotten off easy on Medicare for all, police funding, Pentagon spending, fracking, reparations for African Americans, the Green New Deal, and his support for the 1994 crime bill. Per Trump campaign spokesman Andrew Clark, Biden has been the least scrutinized presidential candidate in modern history, at great disservice to the voters. But the press still has time to rectify that. But here's how they say Biden got there. Biden's team was close to shuttering his foundering campaign for the Democratic nomination at the end of February. Then perhaps the last kingmaker in American politics James Clyburn blessed his candidacy and delivered him South Carolina. Back in May, David Plouffe and David Axelrod urged Biden not to become passive, but the campaign stuck to a strategy of protecting the candidates and voters' health. Then the coronavirus hit. Biden looked wise rather than weak for staying off the trail and campaigning via video calls. And then third, Trump continued to light himself on fire bombed in the first debate, then got the coronavirus. He balked at a virtual debate, giving Biden another off-ramp. 
Um, this one I'm going to go more in depth about, but let me just say along with the bias, there's a, a man named Sean Davis on Twitter posted this. Twitter is censoring the president and shadow banning conservatives. Facebook is blocking negative stories about Joe Biden and his crackhead son. And Google is kowtowing to communist China in case you were wondering whether big tech is conspiring to steal the 2020 election. This is what I want to say about, about the Democrats in this field. There is a very good chance now that Biden could win. I'm not saying he's going to, but I had written him off from the start last year. I said, if he's the nominee, Donald Trump will be elect, reelected president. I said that earlier this year. I put it on Twitter. I put it on Facebook. If Joe Biden is a nominee, Donald Trump will be reelected. That would be the dumbest thing Democrats could do was to nominate Joe Biden. He is the weakest, worst candidate that you could find. I mean, obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders would be really bad, but I'm talking about of the candidates who actually had a chance of being the nominee. He was the worst nominee they could possibly find. He now could actually win, and he could actually win because of the bias that is being perpetrated. He is, as this article says, he's not the luckiest. He is the least scrutinized frontrunner. He's the luckiest only in the sense that the media um, is not covering Joe Biden at all. They are giving him a pass for everything. And I guess maybe you could use the term lucky because of the pandemic and the fact that that Trump is a magnet for controversy and for news. Um, that everything Trump says becomes the story. And Joe Biden, you know, makes ridiculous, stupid comments. And I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the press would have covered it, but then Trump says something. And instead of talking about Biden, everyone wants to talk about what Trump just said. So he is lucky in that sense. But I'll tell you, this bothered me right from the start. Oh, don't get me started on this. This, but too late. I'm already going. This made me mad right from the start. Back in February, Joe Biden came in third and fourth in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in Nevada. He was a dead man walking as far as a candidate. Nobody, I mean, nobody wanted Joe Biden to be the nominee. None. Zip. Zero. He was completely broke. I am not kidding. Even MSNBC and CNN talked about how broke Joe Biden was. He had no money left. He put all of his chips in South Carolina because he was completely broke and busted. He could, you know, their fundraising was dead. Pete Buttigieg, who had won Iowa. Um, I can't remember who won New Hampshire now. Uh, oh, Bernie Sanders won New Hampshire. They were getting an influx of cash and all this. Biden had no money left going into South Carolina. And then MSNBC and CNN gave him millions of dollars in free media. They call it earned media, but this wasn't earned. Um, but in, uh, it became an infomercial because they, over the weekend, uh, you had Pete Buttigieg dropped out on Saturday and said he was going to endorse Joe Biden. The next day, Amy Klobuchar dropped out and the media covered it uh, 
as, you know, about this is so helpful to Joe Biden. Monday night, Monday night, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, uh, and Beto O'Rourke all came together for a star-studded event the night before the South Carolina primary to endorse Joe Biden. Oh, and that day, Elizabeth Warren also dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden. So that night, they gave three hours to the candidates all coming out, endorsing Joe Biden, Joe Biden coming out on the stage. They gave him three hours. Plus, the whole weekend, they had talked about nothing but how this was great for Joe Biden. You know, the centrists were all dropping out. They were putting their support behind Joe Biden. Three hours Monday night, they did this extravaganza like the like you would for a uh, for the convention. And then, you know, and James Clyburn was there, uh, and he's a big black politician in South Carolina, beloved by South Carolinians, Carolinians and Democrats and black Democrats. He endorsed Joe Biden. And then the next day was the South Carolina primary and Joe Biden won tremendously because all weekend, that was all they talked about. Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. Everyone's dropping out. Joe Biden is the nominee. Joe Biden's making it. He was completely broken, busted. South Carolina, he won South Carolina. And then after that, you know, he had a huge influx of cash. He became the presumptive front runner. It became between him and Bernie Sanders. There was no way Bernie Sanders was going to get the nomination. So he started winning all the primaries after that, took every state after that in the Super Tuesday and all that. Nobody wanted this guy. The media made him the nominee. He was a horrible candidate. He is a horrible candidate. He is, he's got serious mental issues. He is falling apart. He cannot speak coherently. He is, uh, I don't, I don't want to come out and say he's a racist, but he makes many racist comments. So take that as you will. He, I, I don't even, I, I, I can't even go, I, I don't want to even go on and on and on and just turn this into an anti-Biden rant. But there was no way that he could beat Donald Trump. It's just that the media, because the coronavirus hit, they decided that they could use that to their advantage. I'm talking about the Trump, the, the Biden people, because now they don't have him doing rallies. So we can't see how many people actually don't support him because they're purposely doing these small little rallies with only a couple of people. So we can't actually find out how many people, what kind of enthusiasm is there for Joe Biden, because they say, well, this is by design. You know, he's in the age range. He's an older man. He's in the age range. You know, he's got to be wearing a mask. He can't, he can't go out there and campaign because he doesn't want to make other people sick. He doesn't want to get sick. You know, he's concerned about the health of himself and for Americans. You know, so he does these Zoom campaigns, these fundraisers over the computer. You know, and he's he and Kamala Harris have refused to answer any questions. They've done all these so-called press conferences where they don't answer one question from the press. The press has gone so easy on him on this on this issue of Medicare for all. He's gone back and forth during the during the debates. Um, police funding. At one point claiming he wanted to defund the police, now claiming he wants to give more money to the police. Where does he stand on that? Pentagon spending. Where does he stand on the wars? Where does he stand on the wars? Where does he sp stand on the military? Where does he stand on, on um, uh, drone strikes, fracking? He has said on tape at different places, I will not 
stop fracking. I'm a fan of fracking. And then he's in Pennsylvania and he's told people that he will put an end to fracking. Uh, the Green New Deal. He signed a, a, a Trump called it a manifesto. I'll just use that for lack of a better term. He signed a manifesto for with Bernie Sanders saying he supports the Green New Deal. But then in the debate denied that he supported the New Green New Green Deal or Green New Deal, whatever it's called. You know, his support for the 1995 crime bill, which locked up black people by the thousands. You know, part of the problem we have, we have a, a prison problem. Our prisons are overcrowded because of that crime bill. Um, the stop and frisk, all these things. Now, you might agree with some of those things. But my point is that among the Democrats, that was a very, very unpopular bill. And yet he's not being asked about it. You know, he now claims that he's the champion of black people. And he's the one who locked him up. Or not him. Well, yeah, yeah, him, because it was his bill. This is when he was in the Senate. This was not as vice president. So he and then he refuses to answer the question about court packing. You know, he just refuses to answer it. It's not that hard of a question to answer. You either support packing the court or you don't support packing the court. Say which one you which one it is. Don't start this. Well, we'll find out after I'm elected. I mean, that's just that's just a cop out. And I just don't understand. I mean, a guy who is fluent in lying like Joe Biden, if he really wants to pack the court, you know, he has no problem with lying. Just tell people I'm not going to pack the court. And then afterwards say, oh, yeah, I decided I will. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not in support of politicians lying, but he has absolutely no problem lying. Why not just lie and say, I'm not going to do it to get the issue off the front page, you know, and then, and then afterward, you can always say, oh, I've changed my mind, but he just won't answer the question. I just don't understand why he's making that an issue, you know, why he wants to die on that hill and refuse to answer the question. Now he just says, I'm not a fan of it. That doesn't tell you whether he's going to do it or not. Um, you know, and Kamala Harris, of course, has her own set of problems, uh, a, a lot of problems as far as concerning, um, I mean, you know, she laughed about marijuana, you know, claimed that she used to smoke weed when she was a teenager. You know, she listened to Tupac. She was all in the street. She was in the hood and all this other stuff, but then locked up scores of black people who had just a little bit of weed on them and they're still in prison, you know? So aside from her harsh treatment of prisoners on top of it, She's a hypocrite because she claimed that she used to smoke weed and thought it was perfectly fine. And then, but locks up everybody else who smokes weed, you know, and that's not even beginning the fact that she's held people in prison that she knows were innocent, but they didn't have the right paperwork. So she kept them in prison knowing that they were innocent, but well, you know, you have to have the right paperwork to be released. So this person didn't dot that I correctly or cross that T. So we'll keep them in prison until it's taken care of. You know he's innocent, but you're keeping him in jail anyway just because the paperwork hasn't been filed correctly is an absolute abomination. But she has not answered one question. And what happened to the fact that Kamala Harris said that she believes Tara Reid, the woman who accused Joe Biden of either rape or sexual assault. I can't remember. Maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. But she said she believes the woman. She said that. Now suddenly she's on stage with him as his running mate. She said he was a racist in the first debate, said his segregation, his busing policies were racist, and then claimed that she believed his accuser 
And now she jumps on the on the ticket with him and talks about what a great guy he is. They're not answering these questions. Anyway, nobody is asking Joe Biden any serious questions. He's gotten away with this because of the pandemic, because there are so many other news stories going on right now that they are getting away with Joe Biden just hovering under the radar, hardly speaking at all. And then the one time, and this is, you know, and I've said this before and I'll, and I'll keep repeating it, Donald Trump shot himself in the foot in that debate because that was the one time that Joe Biden couldn't hide. And Trump kept answering and, and interrupting and kept Joe Biden from being able to answer real questions and have the Ameri American people make judgments based on that. And I don't know if there's going to be another debate. I hope there is. Because I believe that Trump would do much better in that one because he realized the mistake now. I hope there's another one because the American people deserve to see Biden up there answering questions for 90 minutes with no cue cards, nobody whispering in his ear, um, you know, and having and just being unvarnished up there. They deserve to see that because otherwise he's going to get elected and you're going to have buyers or more. So everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, what did we who did we elect this man? I can't believe what we did here. It's going to be a shock to most Americans if the day after Election Day, or theoretically when it's called, Joe Biden is elected president, everyone's going to say, what did we do? What did we do? We made a huge mistake. So they, they, they need to see him. And unfortunately, there's just so many other things going on in the news that he's able to, to fly under the radar. And I have, I'm not saying he's going to win, but he has an actual chance of winning now that I wouldn't have given him even a month ago. Um, and it's all because he is not getting the, uh, the attention that he should be. He's not answering any legitimate questions. He's not talking about any issues. He's just hiding away um, and doing, you know, virtual campaigning and raising funds. And, and really he's benefiting from an anti Trump mood, and I'm not talking about from Republicans, I'm talking about from Democrats who are just supporting him because they don't like Trump and they don't have any idea what they'll be getting if if he run if he wins. He needs to be out there answer questions so they can they can make that choice instead of just saying, you know, that way they could say, okay, maybe I don't like Trump, but this guy, I don't know if I want to take a risk on him. We know where we stand with Trump. You know, let's give him four more years. We don't know what we're going to get with Biden because he hasn't given us one legitimate answer. He, all he's saying is, I'm not Donald Trump. That's why you should vote for me. You know, um, my fear is that he's going to get elected because the media refuses to hold him accountable, refuses to ask him legitimate questions and demand answers. And as I read in the tweet, because social media, Twitter, Facebook, Google, plus you have MSNBC and CNN and even to a certain degree, Fox News has started to become much more critical of Donald Trump. So you – and of course, that's not including almost every newspaper in the country, which just keeps endorsing Biden, which I don't understand at all why a media outlet which purport, purports to just tell you the news and be unbiased is, uh, is endorsing candidates. But regardless, you have just about every newspaper and every magazine and – you know, and you've got the entire establishment and 
you know, Colin Powell and the Bushes and, um, you know, everyone under the sun, all endorsing Biden generals and and the American Health Association and all these other agencies that shouldn't be endorsing anybody either, all endorsing Biden. And nobody knows where he stands on anything. They're just endorsing him because he's not Donald Trump. And yet nobody knows where he stands on any of these issues. He might end up winning. And then America is going to take a long look in the mirror, almost like after you have a drunken night, you know, a drunken bachelor party, and you wake up the next day and say, what did I do last night? What What did I do? You know, you wake up in Vegas and you got a ring on your finger and you find out you got married. You're like, oh my goodness, what did I do? And that is what's going to happen unless we start hearing from Joe Biden and they start holding Joe Biden accountable um, because he can't win. He cannot win if people know what he stands for or what he doesn't stand for. If they know how bad off he is mentally, if they know um, the few issues that he has talked about are very extreme. Uh, he can't win, but right now he has a very good shot of winning. I'm not saying 100% he's going to win, but I say he's a very good shot of winning because everybody, everybody seems to be pushing this anti-Trump. Joe Biden is the savior because he's not Donald Trump, and nobody knows what Biden stands for. And you only see him at these few events that are carefully staged and crafted. So you only see him for a couple of minutes at a time, you know, like laying the wreath at, wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier where it only takes a couple of minutes. Or a, a video where he, you know, he releases a video or something. So I'm just, I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I hate to see it. And if the American people really wanted Biden... I would accept that. I mean, obviously, I'm going to accept the results either way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say Joe Biden's not my president because I'm not like that. If he legitimately is elected president, I might not support him, his policies, but I'll accept that he's my president. But what bothers me is that um, I'm not saying the votes are going to be stolen or anything like that. But what I'm saying is it's not a fair election in the sense that we don't know what we're getting it's just an anti-Trump vote that is being pushed by seemingly everybody, every news agency, every social media outlet, every newspaper, every magazine, every politician. They're all in this anti-Trump mode, which equals pro-Biden. I mean, they're not really pro-Biden, but they're going to take Joe Biden because he's not Trump. And then they need, they deserve, we deserve to know where Biden stands on the issues and he's skating by and every presidential candidate of the past who's lost, Hillary Clinton and Mitt Romney and Michael Dukakis all the way back, Bob Dole, all these people are probably looking and saying, Joe Biden is the luckiest person ever because why couldn't that have happened to us where, you know, nobody would ask us any questions and we could have just gone without answering questions explaining positions, hiding in the basement, and still, you know, we're going to win a number of states, whether or not he wins the presidency. He's going to win a lot of states, and yet nobody has any idea what he stands for, what he believes. Anyway, I'm over time anyway, so I'm going to let you go. But uh, we got three weeks, three weeks until Election Day. It is just going to get more crazy from here. So um, 
be sure to like, subscribe, and uh, tell your friends and uh, listen to Tom. Listen to Tom's latest show. Um, it's another great one. So I'll uh, hope you all have a great week, and I'll see you real soon. Bye, everyone.